Welcome to Franklin Upfront. I am your host, Mr. Franklin. A very special welcome to all of you who are joining me here on this podcast. And more particularly on this live stream. I hope you enjoy your stay here and that you find something of meaning and value in my message. This week's episode is a part two to last week's show. Is it ethical to facilitate euthanasia? So, I kind of spoke generally as it relates to euthanasia in general, suicide in general, different kinds of suicide. The purpose of the suicide, the many, the purpose of the many different kinds of suicide, and I said that one of them is euthanasia, which is assisted suicide when someone is in pain, and whether it's ethical or not. Is it more ethical to leave them in pain or to help them take be taken out of their misery, almost to the equivalent of putting down a dog? Not comparing hospice patients to dogs, of, dogs of course, but um. It is similar. And uh, is it more ethical to keep them in their misery? Or to help them be taken out of their misery? Um... I'm going to kind of ramble on in the first segment and then I'm going to open up the phone lines in the next segment. We'll be taking your calls and you will be allowed to air your grouses. But first, um, picture this scenario. Your best friend or your brother or someone near and dear to you, your wife, your husband, whoever it is, your, your son, your daughter, comes up to you and says, this is it, I can't take it no more. I think I'm going to end it all. Um, naturally, you will try and talk them out of it. But if they insist... then what do you do with the answers? Okay, Taha has entered the studio. He says, hello. Welcome to the program. Welcome to Falcon Upfront. Glad to have you. Um, they insist, and then they said, you wouldn't understand. There's nothing you could do to help me. I'm in so much pain and I don't know how to take myself out of it. And this is the only thing I can think of. I just want the pain to end already. What do you do? Do you take them out of their misery? 
or do you allow for them to find any means whatsoever by which to be taken out of their midway? Or do you fight like hell to force them to remain alive and remain in pain? Albeit you have no other solution by which to help them make the pain stop. Whatever they're going through, you don't know how to make that pain stop. And they're right, you can't help them. You don't know what it's like, what they're going through. You couldn't even begin to imagine. You are caught between a rock and a hard place, and it's not fair that they put you in that situation. But if they did, however, how do you handle that as a mediator, as a person they went to for help? What if they simply said, I didn't come here for you to help me or talk me out of it. I simply came to say goodbye out of respect for the relationship we had throughout the years. What do you say then? What do you do? Um, I guess what I'm trying to say is, is it hypocritical to force them to remain alive, to guilt them into staying in their pain, knowing fully well that you have no solution for them. Or in some cases, there are those who just don't care. They want to keep them alive, no matter what, as a means of control. So they could have fuel, because who's going to be there for them to bother when you're gone? In some cases. But if, you're, if you have empathy, then how do you handle... A situation like that is it hypocritical to keep convince that person to stay here on earth knowing fully well there's no solution for their problems and what they're going through or you you can't think of one off the bat and you're hoping that some future miracle will release them from their pain or is it actually more ethical to let them go, set them free. Which is more ethical? It, it depends on the perspective of how one chooses to look at it because there are some who would think it's kind of cruel and hypocritical to keep them here and it's more ethical to set them free while others are like, no, it's more ethical to keep them here and it's more cruel to set them free and deprive someone of their life prematurely and um, take advantage of the fact that they're not in their right mind in that moment. They can't think straight. So what do you think? What would you rather do in under those circumstances? Now, what inspired these episodes of this podcast? 
I remember once listening to an NPR program where a man confessed that his brother came to him and told him that he was going to take his own life. And the man could have talked him out of it, but he said that all he did was he cried with his brother and then ultimately respected his will. And he has gotten lots of backlash for that throughout the years. People are saying, why didn't you save him and shake him out of it already? And um, slap some sense into him. Speaking of which, that's no way to handle a suicidal person. You don't slap some sense into them. That's crazy. And that, that maybe have some cultural relevance because where I come from in Jamaica, where mental health is not taken seriously is one big joke and people villainize the victim and the person who's in pain people people don't know how to handle mental health problems and it's still true to this day but imagine way back in the day like before i was born imagine that imagine old time jamaica where people don't take this thing seriously somebody i get off of their head is one big joke and everybody laughing and skidding teeth to the streets Hmm? And somebody threatened, threatened to jump off a building because they've been bullied and teased mercilessly throughout their entire school life. And they threatened to jump off the building and kill themselves. And a crowd gather around, not to save them, but to see if they do it for real. And then one passerby in the crowd might shout out something like, Not, not do him. Him want to rascal lick. <laughs> it's not funny. It's not funny, but anyway, that is culturally relevant to Jamaica, where people are very insensitive to to um, mental health challenges, and people don't think it's really people think that people are making up things for attention, and they just don't care or don't know how to really handle it, and they think that, and of course, way back in the day now, like before my grandmother was born, her mother before her would think that somebody obey him. I obey them, obey and make him a guasa. They obey him. They put, in other words, they put witchcraft on him. They put voodoo spells on him while he's acting like that. So now that person becomes demonized because the people in the village believe that they're dealing with a demonic spirit. ABC Show 7, welcome to the program. Glad to have you. The people believe that they're battling an, an, an ancient evil demon, so they start to demonize the person who's mentally challenged for that reason. And they don't... It has never occurred to them that sometimes people just get crazy. They go off their locker. You know? Um... And oftentimes they fail to realize it is their own cruelty towards an individual where the person was under pressure, couldn't handle it, and end up going off their rocker.
Now, on a previous episode of my program, I did speak about the history, the very dark history of um, of, of um, roasting culture, and how it is such that during the day we have these creeps and pedophiles and all these rapists who would traverse the the European countryside at night and break into people's homes, kid abduct or kidnap the victim out of their beds, sexually abuse them, molest them, and then when the person's mental stability breaks down, when they have a mental breakdown now, over the trauma of their molestation, they would put clown makeup on that person and they would clown them and they would parade them around town and people would be lining in the streets with um, rotten tomatoes, rotten apples to ridicule and clown that person. And that's where the whole culture of the court jester comes from. So oftentimes when somebody is mentally challenged, it's not even really witchcraft by their mentally challenged. As many foolishly believe, but it is their own cruelty and um, wickedness and evil towards that person. Why that person broke. They broke that person mentally. And if you're not mentally strong like I was, you, you wouldn't survive and you would go off a rock'em. And some people would steep into a, such a deep depression that they would threaten to self-harm. And take their own lives. And you, back in those days in Jamaica, you know, you didn't have hashtags and social media and the internet. And you didn't have such hashtags like um, hashtag self-harm, hashtag mental health. You didn't have any of those things. So people were left without support, without connections. And the, the, the stigma of mental disease was so great that... The family of the person who's depressed would have to hide it. Or if the person themselves are capable, they would have to hide it themselves and put on a brave face. And mask away for the public and behind closed doors, they're abusing their children. And the cycle continues. They abuse now becomes the abuser because they don't know how else to cope. That's all they know. So it's either that... where the victim has enough control to behave in public, or they're truly fully gone. And it is the relatives who would have to cover up for them until they escalate one day. And chances are when the relatives and the family members cover up for them and the community cover up for them and hide their mental illness, chances are they're taking advantage of that person and they're even further abusing them behind closed doors. And that person is suffering in silence. And when it is such that um, when it is such that, that they they cannot take it no more, they escalate and then they they expose and embarrass their relatives and, and the people who have been abusing them. And that's when they threaten self-harm. And that's when you hear people demonize the victim now and say things rude, stupid things like not not do him. He just want to rass box. I just bad him bad, yeah. Not not do him. 
especially if it's a little kid involved or a teenager, a troubled teenager. When the Jamaican talks like that, they are covering up their mischief and their abuse of someone helpless. And um, some cultures are insensitive to mental illness and self-harm and all those things. Others are more aware and more woke. And I can appreciate the more woke cultures and I can appreciate anybody who come from people with a darker mindset who have been able to elevate their vibrations on this earth and elevate their way of thinking by means of exposing themselves to ideas that are unconventional in comparison to where they're coming from. Because that may well have been my saving grace. If I didn't leave my homeland, I love Jamaica, love my beautiful homeland, but if I didn't leave Jamaica, I'd be a different person today. And this podcast wouldn't exist. You see what I mean? Or it would exist, but it wouldn't exist in the way that it exists now. It wouldn't be that serious program. I'll be, I'll be on here chatting stupidness and wasting time and laughing like a having down a sense. You know, so you have to, I have to, Thank God for the opportunity to live in other countries and to to see the world outside of the scope of our understanding, our limited worldviews that cause us to behave in this manner and be especially cruel towards each other. Okay, we take a break right here. When we come back, we'll be taking your calls, and I hope you'll join me then. Keep it locked on Frank and Upfront. If you wish to advertise on Frank and Upfront, please email me at frankandupfrontpodcast.gmail.com. If you wish to donate to my channel, listener support is more than welcome at paypal.com 
slash frank and upfront. Okay, welcome back to Frank and Upfront. This week's topic is the part two to last week's program. Is it ethical to facilitate euthanasia? And now we'll be taking your calls. Um, the rules for calling the show is um, the show will last for two hours, so each person gets 10 minutes, maybe 15, but not 20, to air your grosses. And for that reason, I asked us to do not ramble on about um, irrelevant topics. Stick to the the um, the reason for your calling the show, and I would encourage you to, as best as possible, stick to the actual topic at hand. Um, I will not tolerate rude comments, offensive, derogatory comments. If anybody call the program with those comments, I will cut you off the program. Okay. And as we wait for callers to call the show, let me go on and um, refresh. Refresh your memories of the, the gist behind this week's topic. There are some who believe that if someone approaches you with the intent of taking their own lives or committing acts of self-harm and you allow them to, to, to take their lives, I mean, that um, you will be blamed for that person losing their lives and losing opportunity. And you should have tried your best to keep them alive and taught them out of taking their lives. But in fact, there are others who would also believe as well that you're selfish for keeping them here if they're in pain and that you should, even if you're not going to assist them to, to take their own lives, you should not try and stop them because if they really have to go and you can't help them out their pain and they, they can't help themselves out their pain and that suicide is a Suicide is the only thing that they can think of on such short notice 
that you should allow it. And I think I have an idea as to how I feel about that. But I want to hear how you feel about that. So, let me hear what you have to say. Welcome to all of you. I want to thank you for joining the show. Welcome, welcome, welcome to all of you. And um, as we wait for callers, Let's talk a little bit more about um, the direction of this channel. I think I'll be hosting more call-in shows going forward. Some will be pre-recorded, but I'll be hosting more than in the past. And we'll see how it goes, and if it's a huge success, then uh, all my weekly podcasts will be live shows from going on here, from here on out. Oh, I got one for you, by the way. Um, so let me ask you a question. If it is your enemy or someone who have done you wrong, and you're still bitter about it, and they, you get win, they wouldn't come to you naturally, but they would get you would get win. Someone tells you, someone breached your trust, and they tell you. What would you say about that? What would you say about somebody who is your enemy who have done you wrong? And they're not remorseful in the least. And they're not contemplating suicide or they are at the end of their rope and they're in hospice care. Do you encourage them to take their lives? Do you actually hand them the rope, <laughs> so to speak? <laughs> or do you leave it up to chance? Or do you actually try and talk them out of it, hoping, you know, maybe, maybe this person will change after all. Maybe they'll change if I 
help them realize that they have another chance. What do you do? It depends on the individual, you know. It depends on the individual. But what do you do? It depends on the individual. It depends on their their religious beliefs, their spiritual beliefs. If they practice a religion that believes in forgiveness, then they'll be more likely than um, a more secular person, a more worldly individual. To actually. either assist them or lead them to their own devices. Another question is, how can you help uh, an insensitive culture to appreciate more the truth and the effects of someone having a mental health challenge and what that could have, the the impact that could have on a person and on the community as a whole? How can we help them to appreciate the magnitude of struggling with a mental health challenge, struggling with suicidal ideations? That should be the real topic. How to help an insensitive culture Learn to appreciate mental health challenges a little bit more. What can we do to assist with that? I will tell you a story. Um,
when i was younger i would witness people around me adults i would witness adults in jamaica mistreat other adults mistreat drunkards in a bar mad monday road half naked homeless people easy got of garbage bins and i felt protected apart from the occasional teasing at school i wasn't enduring any of that And I actually thought that once I come of age, I start to get a little bit more respect and my quality of life would change. And in fact, yeah, that's true. It did change. Where I'm at, I was very happy. But look how long it took me and look how, look at everything I had to go through. First of all, I had to cut off my toxic family and I had to move as far away from them as possible. Where people are far less toxic and more reasonable. <clears throat> and are there problems here in California? Of course, there are problems. Are people toxic here in California? Tell me about it. I'm afraid I tell you. But despite all that, majority of people are still somewhat more reasonable than others. And the toxic element is, is being kept in check. So anyway... It, it took me cutting off my family and moving out of New York because why? If, if they were not the problem, when I turned 18, or 21, my, my, the quality of my life would drastically improve instantly if they were not a problem, if I had supportive people about me. But I didn't, so things even got worse, to be honest. Things got worse, I felt hunger I never felt before, a buck pocket I never felt before. I was about to fall through the crack of society. And if it wasn't for the grace of God, I wouldn't be here right now. And I was young, I was 21, it was 2009. But that's a story of another day. But, um, I realized something. You think the kids in school are bad? That's only where it begins. Because when you look back on the way that the adults treated the, the drunkards, the homeless people, the mad people, the crazy people, the poor people, you realize, how did I ever get the impression that my life would improve once I became an adult? How could I have gotten that impression? It begins in school and what we experience, what I experienced in my early adult life is the, the adult version of what I experienced in school. And society looks for a scapegoat. That's where you get things like workplace bullying, adult family bullying, 
family scapegoating, black sheep, all those things. That's where all that comes from. So in observing the way that they treated the, the vulnerable people, people, members of society who needed help, how did I ever assume for one second that my life would be of a better quality by default? By default. It would be of a better quality, you know, but not by default, no. Because why? I come to realize by listening to Avi Dasset, and he says it, and he's, he's right. And he says, society doesn't want you eating independent of what they can provide. That just in case you don't validate what they're saying, they could always sabotage you and cut you off. And you starve you out, and they can be at ease and feel better about themselves. Now they don't got to worry about you eating for free in this world or living good and they can't get to you. And he's right. He's right. Because I wasn't going to validate society and allow them to be evil to me and mean to people. And um, majority of society are sick in the head. There's something wrong with them. Don't get me wrong. There are very, very few exceptions to the rule. There are smaller communities with more close-knit people. And I'm fortunate to have found such a community of close-knit people. But apart from that, majority of society is sick in the damn head. And if you don't validate them, they feel they're gonna they feel entitled to starve you out. Because you're somehow being bad and being problematic by not validating or going along with what they say and their rules and their structure. And if everything I've been through to get to where I'm at right now is a receipt or a rite of passage of me holding on to my individuality and not joining the, the hive, well, so be it. Would I do it all over again? Maybe not. <laughs> it was intense. It was quite a doozy, wasn't it? But um, and I haven't even told you all the half of what happened yet. But one day I will. But I, I, know, for, I know one thing for sure. It was supposed to be a once-in-a-lifetime experience. And it was worth it. And I was supposed to make it count.
And that's what I have to go through to pay for my rider passes to be where I'm at right now in life. Happy, successful, free. And my only real obligation is this program. Then life well lived. So be it. But no, I wouldn't do it all over again. That'd be kind of crazy. Because of the level of intensity. And there's probably more to come. Who knows? But nowhere near as severe as it, as it was in the past, I hope. I hope. Anyway. The, the fake successful people in society... They sold everybody else off of their own personal gain. That's what they're not telling you. And many of them even use witchcraft to join society in cutting others down so they can be successful. Many of them use actual witchcraft. Many of them use obia. Yes. Under the quiet. Many of them, their mothers and aunties and grandmothers are witches. Oh. And they use obia. To cut others down so they can get, so society can validate their line of passage into appearing more successful or giving, I mean, giving a couple of trinkets. Doesn't really mean much. But they get to live a little. And they're perfectly okay wasting your whole entire life so they can get a couple of trinkets. And you think these people care about life? Human life? You think they care about that? They act like they care, but they don't really care, do they? So the homeless people they make fun of? Those people were left to fall through the cracks of society because they were not validate their expectations and the will of society. And so many of them turn to rum bars and liquor and substance and drugs and all those other kind of things and promiscuity. And they fell through the cracks and they got kicked out of the house, whether because the substance abuse prevented them from doing their jobs effectively so they got fired and ended up being homeless. Or... They just got kicked out of the house because they wouldn't agree with the person in the house. Somebody in the house 
wrongfully hates and wants to destroy someone's life and they wouldn't agree or to participate. And so they get kicked out of the house because the person who wants to hurt that person is feel this that person feels disrespected and feels slighted. Because they are controlling they have a controlling nature. It's in their nature to be a control freak. So anybody who doesn't validate them, they feel disrespected, they feel scorned. And they kick that person out of the house if they can't. If, in other words, if, if you're not going to help me destroy that person's life, I will destroy your life. It's all blackmail, right? So they end up falling through the cracks. They end up, some of them end up homeless because of substance abuse. And so by others, by the others who um, end up with substance abuse issues because they found themselves homeless. It's, it goes both ways, and, and both of them are victims. Meanwhile, society catch the rake. They catch the rake and they know what it is. And they know that if you had only done what we said, you'd be eating good in this world. But you're stubborn and hard is and want your own way. So there you go. And then to relieve their own stress and tension for them obeying society and consuming the little meaningless stupid trinkets, temporary toys, um, to unleash the, the stress of them going through what they went through just to be able to have a couple of toys in life and a happy meal, they actually mock and laugh at the people who are real victims. And it all goes back to the pagan practice of roasting somebody who mentally breaks because they can't handle the stress of what you put them through, be it molestation or indentured servitude or whatever it is. Or simply sabotaging them because they won't validate your pro go along with your program. And that would even explain why many teachers whom I complained to about my tormentors, including the principal themselves, were not willing to act and were even willing to blame me because by they felt that they could get away with blaming me because I'm powerless and I, I couldn't fight back. And they took advantage of my vulnerability because they're predators. And, but deeper than that, far deeper than that, is... Um, my realization and that doesn't make them right it made them really bad but at least now i understand why they, they wouldn't take my side they knew that whatever powers that be at the time if they ever took my side that person would starve them out they knew that that person would just starve them out and they would end up losing their jobs and end up on the streets and wouldn't be able to provide for their families so they did what they had to do for their families or so they felt doesn't make it right, it makes it understandable. They're still wrong. There's always another way. They could join me and empower my cause so we could all be stronger together, but no. They felt that I was unreliable, so they chose to join forces with evil instead. And you know, funny story, some of these people are no longer alive. One of my high school principals, I went to two high schools. The first high school I went to, the principal has been gone for 11 years now. Oh. 
wouldn't lift a finger in my hour of need. But he's not here no more, and he wasn't even that old either. He was in his 70s. Do unto others. <laughs> Anyhow. And then another situation comes to mind. Many years after high school, I was working in New York at 27 in a doctor's office, and this patient kept calling, and they didn't want to help her. And the office manager wanted to starve out that patient on purpose. For whatever reason, she just didn't like her. I don't know what it is. She just didn't like her. And she wanted to starve her out. And all of us who work in the office were encouraged to not take her calls. And it was even implied that if we help her or try to help her or take her call, we'd be... She, she didn't come out and say fired, but we would lose support and we would be on our own and they would retaliate for us helping her. And sure enough, my work life was made harder. And sure enough, they started pushing my lunchtime back. They reduced our lunchtimes down to half an hour from one hour. And they, they would have us, even when it's not busy, she just felt like it because she's a bitch. So she felt like it. And she would reduce our lunchtime down to half an hour and schedule the lunchtimes Send us an email blast to the whole company and push mine all the way down to the very end of the day. All the way down to like 3 30, 4 o'clock, and I've been since 9 o'clock. And my day didn't my, my, my day didn't even start at 9 o'clock. My day starts from like 5 because I gotta travel far to get to work. And she knows everything I go through just to get to work every day. And um she would push my lunchtime down to the very end of the day to starve me or to keep me in pain, to have me working like a slave to make money for them on an empty stomach, just to punish me for having sympathy for that lady who she was trying to cut off or disconnect from getting help in the very office that's bidding her insurance, that she has a right to call and ask for help. And there are several other instances where those psychopaths in the office punish people for showing any kind of empathy or consideration for helping other people. Empathy is literally penalized, literally. A few months later, they were bombarding one of my colleagues with extra work. She couldn't handle it. She cracked on the pressure and started cursing everybody out. And then they fired her. And the rest of us had better know not to help her because if we did, she'd retaliate against us too. So that person was made a scapegoat. And early in the morning when, when we first got there for work, she wanted... She wanted that girl to do my work for me, and she never cared about my workload. But all of a sudden now, all of a sudden now, the blue now, she 
she care about my workload. Take a break. You're working too hard. Let her do your work for you. Or let her do that particular assignment. And, um, you know, this is the hard part because I feel kind of bad because that girl is my friend. They're really good friends. But um, things haven't been the same since that day. Because I should have stood up, stood up, um, stood up for my friend against that bully. But I didn't. I was just glad in that moment that my workload was a bit less. But it came at the expense of that friend's job. And it came at the expense of our friendship. And she saw how close me and my friend were. She's the only friend I really had at that job. And she tried to break up our friendship and she did a very good job at that. And I didn't even I couldn't even think fast enough to realize what was happening because I'm always hungry. I'm always hungry and I'm always rushing because I'm always late. So I couldn't even think straight to realize what the fuck is happening here. And do something about it. So as soon as we get to work that morning, she wanted to, bur to burden my friend with extra work, and including my workload too, my assignment. And I allowed it. And all of a sudden now she cared about my workload and my stress levels. Are you kidding me? So anyway, my friend felt bombarded with work all day long. That wasn't even her work. Wasn't even her assignment. That was re redirected to her and they set her up to be fired and she cracked on the pressure she had a toddler at home she cracked on the pressure and she got fired and you know two two weeks later looking for her two weeks later she found another job somewhere else and she was hired as a manager on that job lucky her and three months later the company closed, I got laid off, and I moved to Los Angeles. But she wanted to use me to burden my friend so our so to to strain our friendship so it'll never be the same again. And we're still friends. I have nothing against her. I don't think she has anything against me either. I think she found it hard to forgive me because she realized it's not entirely my fault. My my fault. And um even though we're still cool and all, it's not, it hasn't been the same. You know, and um, by the time we reconnected, I was living in LA, she was still living in New York, and the friendship wasn't the same since. It's been kind of distant. But she almost ruined my friendship with that girl. Almost. And, um, 
everybody should would just shut up and mind their business. When that girl was being targeted, everybody would shut up and mind their business and just be grateful it's not them. And uh, no one was allowed to help her because if anyone tried to help her and be on her side and show affection to her openly, they would also be targeted as well, wouldn't they? So everybody, including me, minded their business. We knew the company was closing. We were offered an incentive for staying with the company until closing day. And nobody wanted to lose an incentive, especially me. I had a big move ahead of me, and I needed, I needed money. I had savings, you know. I had savings, but I needed more money. Because the future was uncertain. So I needed that incentive more than people who had kids on the job. Because they had a spouse and they were comfortable and I wasn't. I had to go find mine in the world somewhere and they didn't. So I needed that incentive more than they. And I got it. And nobody was going to stand in the way of my move to Los Angeles. Nobody. And so, even though I regret I didn't stand up to the, that bully boss and stick up for my friend a little bit, I what could I have done differently? And what could my friend have done differently? She could have kept her composure and not lose control, but she's a hothead, so she lost her cool, had a temper tantrum in the office, and they fired her on the spot. And anybody who showed any kind of sympathy or care for her would have been picked on as well. I would have probably had my lunch and pushed way back up to five, six, 5.30 at that point. But I'm always hungry, always not thinking straight, and always rushing and anxious. And... Anyway, it wasn't easy working at that place, but that was a job that helped me move to California, so I wouldn't be here right if it wasn't for that job. So, you know. Anyway, um, and here's the funny thing about that story. Majority of them are Puerto Ricans. It's the Bronx. It's way up in the Bronx and in the South Bronx, at the concourse. And majority of them are, or wherever, majority of them are Puerto Rican. 
And this is Puerto Rican on Puerto Rican racism. Not even racism. It's Puerto Rican on Puerto Rican violence. And you would think that they would have each other's back as Puerto Ricans and as females and as mothers who have kids at home. But no. So what does that show you though? None of that community stuff matters when someone has it in for you and they want to make a target out of you. None of that, all that goes out the window. The only thing that matters is that you didn't validate whatever fantasy they have in their minds and they're coming for your next. That's all that matters. And they will use anybody to achieve that goal at that end. They never care about my workload or my when I get my lunch break. I was a pawn in the middle of all that. I was to be used to facilitate the very compromise of our friendship, to burden her with my own workload and to or to allow her to do so with using my workload, acting like she cares. So she could attack that girl and get her fired. And destroy or attempt to destroy our friendship while doing so. And I was a pawn to help destroy my own friendship with that girl. They will use anybody that gets in their way, anybody who happens to be there. And they don't care who it is. There's this one crazy girl in the office who loves to talk about, loves to talk about encomienda, y'all are my people, my trusts, my whatever. And she allowed that shit to happen too. And where's your encomienda and your trust and your peoples and all that? Mehente. Where is Mehente when you are railroading this girl? Where is all that? We take a break right here when we come back. I'll be going into my final thoughts for this episode. Do join me then. Keep it locked on Frank and Upfront. If you have a burning question or concern, please email the Frank and Affront Q&A blog 
at frankandupfrontpodcast at gmail.com and indicate whether you want a public or private response. Public response is free with a limit of 1,000 words and private response is $10 for every 500 words. Please inquire within today. Welcome back to Frank and Upfront. This week's topic is it ethical to facilitate euthanasia? And now on to my final thoughts. Um, it would appear as if nobody called the program tonight. Are you all scared? I don't bite, man. Call, call the program. <laughs> we still have time, you know. We still have one more hour left. Call the program if you are interested. Um, don't be scared. Just, you know. There's nothing to be nervous about. As long as you don't come here and chat trippedness, your 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 views are welcome, and I have to respect that. Anyway, I had a couple of questions at the beginning of this program. And one of them is. Which is more ethical? Setting someone free if they are in pain with no solutions and no way out, or keeping them here or allowing them to be to set themselves free for that matter, or keeping them here and allowing them to suffer undue hardships. You know, and but then again, what could possibly make someone change their mind about um, taking one's own life? What could possibly some might think a million dollars? Give me a million bucks, I'll get down other bridge right now. And I'll be well, yeah. For a night or so, until the honeymoon period ends, and then what happens? Then what happens?
But then, you know what really would prevent or make someone change their mind? Just simply a smile, simply being nice. In one of my previous episodes called Pizza with a Side of Attitude, I was doing a review of the different restaurants and how some people are just rude. And I was saying that if you go to one of the pizza restaurants, the girl who's really nice to you who work in the restaurant, the one who greets you with a smile and is nice, you never know how you might be helping somebody. That person could be ordering their last meal or what was intended to be their last meal and you being kind and smiling may have changed their lives forever. You just don't know how you're impacting people. It could have changed their mind and prevented them from going through with it. Because they remember, oh wow, there's still good people after all. What am I doing? Let me get down from here. And you never know, if you go back there and tell the girl at the pizza restaurant who worked there that, um, you know the other day when you were being nice to me and whatever, I was getting ready to go jump off a bridge and you made me change my mind and you saved my life. You never know, that girl could be your wife someday, bro. She could be your wife someday, and if not even see herself, she could be an in-law. You might, she might have a really hot sister or something, you never know. In life sometimes so you, you you never know who you're helping just by being nice and smiling likewise the very opposite could then be true where somebody who's very fickle and fragile and you said something stupid and they actually took it to heart and jump off a bridge <laughs> you know it's not even funny Or took it to heart and blow their brains out at home or something or overdose or something So, your words could make or break somebody. Life or death lies in the power of the tongue. If we could all be nicer to each other, then there'll be less suicides, I feel. 
They balance mental health challenges. And everybody will be all right. You know? Everybody will be all right. Will there still be suicides? Yes, to a lesser extent. To a far lesser extent. But the life and death lies in the power of the tongue and how we treat others. So, um, you never know. Be kind to people. Be kind to others. And you also have a responsibility for yourself as well, or towards yourself as well, where you would not put up with somebody who is not being kind towards you. Even in work situations where you can't immediately, can't immediately walk out the job, even then, even then, do not put up with somebody who is some mean, nasty brute and, and um, a no good son of a gun. Plan your way out, but don't stay there. The moment you see what it is, don't stay there, but plan your way out. I know it's hard, but it should be worth it. Because when you stay there, all you're doing is proving your faithlessness to the world and the universe. Because if you're faithful, you know that God got you regardless. Stop worrying about the money and whether you're going to survive or not. And just open up the path by which to set yourself free to embark on a whole new adventure that could be more beneficial to your life. God really got you. He really is a good God. Especially if you're chosen. He really is a good God. Walk away from toxic situations to protect your peace and your mental health, if for no other reason. So there's your answer as to what would make somebody either change their mind for the better or for the worse. Now, as for whether it is ethical to prevent them from taking their lives, I'm going to say yes. It is ethical to prevent them from taking their own lives. And the reason being, you don't know what their future holds. Um, whatever they're going through is temporary. This too shall pass. It's a temporary fleeting moment in a very long life. And If you believe that you're setting them, setting them free, then you are mistaken because you might be setting them free from a situation that could improve their lives. 
And guess what? Somebody else, if they're not there to claim the prize, somebody else get the prize. And that person could be your worst enemy since your first day of kindergarten. Think about that. You don't want that son of a bitch to get your reward, do you? No. So, understand something. Whatever it is that's going through that you think is so unbearable is a temporary, fleeting emotion. This too shall pass. And the future of your life will be far more beneficial. And if you're being chased by the mafia, if that's the reason, if that's this, if, if that is the sticky situation you can't get out of, or your feed you can't get out of, leave the country then. Get your passport, leave the country, if that's it. But whatever you do, stay alive at all costs because think of it, think about this way. God Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, doesn't want you to take your own life and get out of here prematurely. He wants you to live the full course of your life or he want, and he wants you to live to either a ripe old age or even if not a ripe old age, he wants to take you out of here on his terms. Say for example, you get cancer when you're 50 and die. That's his term. Or maybe it wasn't, but he allowed it to happen that way or something. But he doesn't, he doesn't even want to get in cancer at 50. Not even that. Let alone take your own life. He wants you to live your life full measure, live to a ripe old age, achieve as many things as you possibly can. Help people change lives, shape lives, and then towards the end, you suffer a short illness and then you're out of here. That's it. Or you go lie down one night and never wake up. But to live a long life, though. That's it. That's what he really wants. And when we get sick and die prematurely, even if he allows it, we did it to ourselves with the bad lifestyle choice, the bad food, the bad drinks, the bad late night hours, the you know sleeping supposed to sleep, you have to stay awake at late at night. And um the stressful situations at work, always worried about money and chasing money and and then the bitterness and resentment from past traumas as you hold on to. Yeah, that too. He doesn't want you suffering like that. He loves you. God loves you. And he wants you to live a happy, long, prosperous, pain-free life. He doesn't want you out of here prematurely, whether by illness or by taking your own life. So if God wouldn't want you to take your own life, then I can't tell you that taking it out of your misery is the best, is, is the more ethical option. I can't tell you that. I cannot tell you that. The only exception 
is if you are euthanized by means of a terminal illness like cancer or a nuclear meltdown where you know it's not going to get better and you'd rather be out of here than to suffer and to go, th- go through the harsh effects of radioactive act- radioactivity peeling away your skin off, his, off, off your flesh, off your bones, right? Turning you into a zombie and frying your brain. The, there are some rare exceptions, and those are extreme dramatic examples of that. Apart from that, if you're being chased by the mafia, leave the country. You never know who you meet in a foreign country. You might meet your wife in a foreign country. You never know. Whatever is going on, heartbreak, whatever it is, other other stuff, I'm not saying it's unimportant. If you're feeling it, it's real enough to you. But those are temporary, fleeting emotions. And it's something they'll be laughing about five more years from now, ten more years from now. And it's not, nothing for you to take your life over. It is something for you to get help over and go see a, get some counseling over, obviously. And take it very seriously, obviously. But it's nothing for you to take your own life over. The punishment does not fit the crime. And whoever he or she is, they're not worth it. They're not worth a single teardrop from your eyes, let alone you taking your life over them. They're not worth it. Can't cope with childhood traumas and being abused by your parents and whatever it is. Get some counseling. Talk your problems out. Be vulnerable with the right person, of course. With the right person, of course. But um, whatever you do, taking your life is not the answer. If God doesn't want you taking your own life, I can't encourage you to do so. Under the the guys of this lie that is the better way out. You're out of your pain and misery. No. You're cutting yourself off from the gift that you would have gotten at some point in your later life had you stayed the course. Life is a race. Life is a race, is a tournament, and the winner get the prize. And he who falls to the wayside even if you would have won and could have won and should have won, somebody else get the prize. Life is a race. Stay in the race and get your prize. Okay, we have been on this topic long enough these past couple of weeks. And I want to move on to something else now. Um, thank you for sticking with me throughout the Getting back on my game. As it relates to the, to the second half of the season, hasn't been easy, has not been easy, but um, for those who have stuck with me, thank you. Thank you for believing in this program as I get back on on, on producing episodes of this show and um, getting back on my A-game. And more episodes with more diverse topics will be coming soon. Next week's topic will be 
the future of the British monarchy. Do join us then. I am Mr. Franklin. This has been Frank and Upfront.